Focus on the Family Canada's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Program is a proven program designed to save couples from the brink of divorce. For over 15 years, Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped more than 4,500 couples, and over 80% of those surveyed are still together two years after attending. If you or someone you know is facing a crisis in their marriage, please call Focus on the Family Canada today at 1-833-999-HOPE or visit hoperestoredcanada.ca to find out more. So, Mom and Dad, what if your effort and energy in parenting is all aimed at the wrong thing? Most of the parents I work with are relentlessly lovers of their kids. Yes. And what that leads to is they misperceive that their job is to relentlessly parent their kids. Oh, that's that's good. And what our job really is, is to relentlessly love our kids enough to parent them as little as possible. And that's not intuitive. I thought you were going to say that's scary. (laughs) It is scary, too. This is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, and that clip was part of a conversation we heard last month from Michael Anderson. He and his co-author, Dr. Timothy Johansson, want to challenge some of your preconceptions and expectations as a mom or a dad. And they also want to help you aim at the right things as a parent. You know, parenting can be a daunting task, can't it? It doesn't come with a manual per se. You've got to do it. And so often as parents, we feel like somehow we're going to know the right thing to do. And I would say, uh, even for Gene and I, that's not true. Uh, You can do so many things wrong. And if you just have a little bit better insight and information about how to approach uh, those young kids, those teenagers with a little different perspective, I hope a biblical perspective, uh, things can go much better. And we're going to pour into you today. If you're struggling as a parent, uh, this program is for you. And we're going to talk about the last time these two were with us and kind of refresh you. But it is wonderful to have our guests back. And again, they are Michael Anderson. He's a licensed psychologist. And Dr. Timothy Johansson is a professor and pediatrician, and they've spent decades uh, studying kids, uh, how they grow up, and they specialize in helping parents with difficult children. Uh, Gentlemen, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. You know, you really have hit some amazing things in this book, GIST. Uh, How did you come up with that title, GIST? Well, that's a long story. Um, (laughs) we, We probably went through... Over 200 titles. Wow. The gist of it? What is well, it? Well, um, it ended up being kind of a – the trend now is a one-word kind of title, whether it's a movie or a book. And we wanted to have a title that talked about the essence of something. And and so just uh, came to us from a person who uh, we, we asked to help with kind of branding and titling this book. And we kind of didn't like it initially. And then <laughs> as we thought about it, my wife added the subtitle. Uh, the essence of raising life-ready kids, and it just seemed to fit. You know, in that context, uh, last time, just to recap for the listeners that didn't hear that program, and again, you could download it for free, come to our website, it was so eye-opening because there were so many counterintuitive things there. For example, you encouraged parents not to try so hard. Um, And in fact, you talked about (laughs) stop talking so much, mom and dad. That's really uh, counterintuitive to me because you want to correct, you want to give your, you know, godly advice (laughs) to your teenager. And And a lot of parents really think that if they're not talking, they're not parenting. And we really feel that that's not true, uh, that you should parent as best you can, but with as few words as possible. I want to tell you a story that happened that was really powerful to me. 
Tim and I spoke at a high school, and a woman was waiting in the wings after we spoke, and she wanted to talk, and I could see her waiting and waiting and waiting. She was desperate. She was, Well, she actually, it was something else. She came up, and I was waiting for kind of a desperate thing, but she said, I came here to tell you a story. I heard you speak three months ago, and I read your book, and I have an eight-year-old daughter, and my husband and I sat down with her, and we said to her, we realized after hearing Mike and Tim and reading this book that we've been parenting you without really seeing your baseline on what you can do. This is an eight-year-old. And we told her, this is a mom and a dad, starting Monday morning, we're going to let you get up on your own, do your homework on your own, watch TV on your own, and we'll watch that for two weeks, and then we'll step in as needed. So it's kind of like the rudder of a ship, you know. When the ship's going the right direction, the rudder does nothing. Hmm. And that's a difference about our approach versus a parent that's parenting kids that are going the right direction just as much as a kid that's not. So she tells me the rest of the story. She says, um, that was three months ago, not a week or two or a month. And she said, since that time, our daughter has gone to bed on her own, done her homework on her own cleared her dishes on her own, and we have done nothing for three months. Now, unpack that a and bit. And this is an eight-year-old. Yeah, describe what's happening in the brain of that eight-year-old. Why is that working when you're trying to parent, maybe over-parent? That's not working. Because, because what happens? she has a chance to show what she's made of. And she wants that challenge. And she wants that challenge. And they were, in essence, taking yeah, that and opportunity the mom, away? The mom started to cry, and she said, Last night, we were watching The Voice as a family, and my daughter got up and said, Dad, can you DVR the rest of the show because I have homework to do? Hmm. And she said, "It break." And she, or I said, what are your tears about? And she said, it breaks my heart to think all we would have said and all that we would have controlled without ever seeing how capable she was. Wow. It's kind of the difference between, um, you know, you hear about teachable moments all the time, and we think that's kind of a misnomer. To us, we were talking about this this morning, it's a rudder moment like you just described, or it's a stealing moment where the parents are actually stealing the opportunity for the child to show what they're made of. And we really encourage parents not to intervene and steal that and, and pull them along. The, the analogy of the ship, I think, is good. Are you going to be a rudder parent or are you going to tow the ship? Are you going to drag your child through the water to get them to move forward? Or are you going to be behind them, steering them in the right direction, uh, and there's a big difference. And I hear what you're saying, and I, I get it. Uh, let me speak on behalf of those parents with the eight-year-old that they have tried something similar. Maybe they haven't read your book just yet, but they get the idea. And that eight-year-old or 10-year-old or maybe 15-year-old isn't responding quite like that. You give them that latitude, well, that was, and that they're was, not doing the homework. That was a possibility or even a likelihood that that would happen with this person. Right. But there's nothing to lose. She told her daughter, we're going to give you two weeks, and if you need help before two weeks, we'll even step in then. But they were trying to get a baseline yeah. on what their daughter can do without so much guidance, teaching, talking, all yeah. these things. I really appreciate that. And one of the difficulties I think we face in the Christian community, I'd love for you to speak to this, is you know, when we commit our lives to Christ, or maybe we grew up in a Christian home and we followed the rules and it worked well for us, you're applying that kind of rules-oriented environment 
because uh, we have a high regard for that. We want to be honoring to the Lord. We want to do the right things behaviorally to show our allegiance to him. Put that in a parenting context, especially in the Christian home where rules are important. And when you step back, there's so much risk in that. There's so much danger in that. Uh, speak to that Christian parent about the uh, the role of rules and the importance of preparation for their launch. Well, I think rules are important, but I read just read a book. I'm a big sports fan. I read, read a book by a great football coach, and he said, I'm looking for players that are obedient but not too obedient because if they're too obedient, they don't have the passion in themselves mm. to bring to the field. And I thought that's a good metaphor for parenting is – some of the stuff that about guidance, are we really putting that scriptural principle on the kid in a wrong way? Um, Tim and I were talking, and I said, you know, imagine I have a daughter. He has a couple daughters. Imagine that they came downstairs in their mid-teens or junior high with a top on that wasn't appropriate. Okay, we would suggest that we say, take the top back up and keep the receipt because that's going back. Now, I can't think of anything more to say to teach than that. I don't have to go and talk about why the top isn't appropriate because they know me. And so I think all this teaching is a little bit of a misnomer because we teach just as much by an example and by the rudder and by consequences. And we've misperceived it as a talking thing. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. This is the sound of the staff here at Focus on the Family Canada every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Petitioning God for those with crisis in their marriage, for those who want to become better parents, and those who are lifting up loved ones to the hope that one day they will know the salvation that Christ has to offer. We'd love to hear from you too. Call us today with your prayer requests at 1-800-A-FAMILY or email us at prayer at fotf.ca. Focus on the Family Canada wants to inspire teen girls to grow in their faith with a new and improved Brio magazine. By nearly doubling the size of each magazine, teen girls will love the fresh new design, including more articles, interviews, and daily devotions focused on a growing faith in Christ. Inspire teen girls to grow in their faith. Order your subscription today at briomagazine.ca. That's briomagazine.ca. Or call 1-800-A-FAMILY. Depression can leave a person feeling lonely, exhausted, and even ashamed. We need tools and support to distinguish normal sadness from the debilitating burden that depression can be. That's why Focus on the Family Canada created a free PDF booklet filled with professional advice, biblical insights, and resource suggestions that address depression. Download your free PDF booklet at focusonthefamily.ca slash depressionpdf. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. I'd like to tackle 
the other parts of the book that we really weren't able to get into, and that was on communication between parents and children. Um, describe the idea of threats that you mentioned in the book. That that hits home for me. I probably relied too much on <laughs> threats. If and, you don't, uh, then yeah, I exactly. will. No, it's more, and Jean would always say to me, you know, she put her hand on my arm and say, you know, that's a big threat for a pretty small infraction. <laughs> It'd be something like, if you don't pick your socks up again for the 15th time, you're never eating again ever. <laughs> now that's not quite it, but you get the idea. Why are the threats really not the tool in the toolbox to use? Well, I think threats, reminders, and warnings are things that Mike and I would say are very ineffective, and threats um, is a very common thing that parents use. Now, um, first of all, why do we go there? Why is it our it, instinct to go there? I think it's because we're frustrated with our child's behavior, and we want it to get fixed really, really quick. And that's not the right mindset, mm. uh, in our opinion. I think threats are things that are vague. Uh, they tend not to uh, have a lot of meat behind them. You have to do this or else. Well, what does or else mean? You know, for the kid, they're like, does that mean I'm grounded? Does that mean I'm whatever? So I think threats are pretty ineffective. Um, warnings and reminders equally are ineffective. Give and, us an example of the warning and reminder. Uh, reminders, uh, we believe that parents who remind a lot create kids who forget a lot. So it creates that dependency. The very yes. thing that frustrates you, you're actually reinforcing. You're actually reinforcing hmm. and you're feeding into it. Um, and threats, reminders, and warnings are really telling your kid that they're failed in the past, they're failing now, or they're going to fail in the future. And that's what the kids feel inside uh, for uh, the situation where there's lots of threats and reminders. What happens uh, long-term for that 17-year-old now that's lived in that kind of parenting environment? Uh, describe that child for me. Well, we think about a parenting intervention as whether it elevates the total behavior of the child. One of the reasons I don't like threats or warnings is it, it might get a kid to go out in the front yard and bring his bike in, but that just solved the problem once. And if he leaves his bike out the next time, you didn't really gain anything. So by not saying anything without using those three things, but using a cost, kids, you, we can count on kids to be self-serving. Yes. That's our edge. <laughs> Count on yourself. Do you think God? Yeah, I was going to say. Do you think God sees us that way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, anytime you can count on somebody's behavior, you can use it to your advantage. And we can count on our kids to be self-serving. So, if it costs them to leave their bike on the yard, they're going to remember on their own, and they're not going to leave it out the next night, which will take another reminder or another threat. So I'm supposed to find my child like a buck if they leave their bike outside. Is that what you're saying? It might take that, but there's other ways to be creative about it. It just has to cost them something. And Give us some examples of that because yeah. I appreciate John's question there because I think, again, if you're living in the reminder parenting style or the uh, uh, threat parenting style. Well, take the example of the bike. Yeah. A 10-year-old yeah. doesn't put his bike away. It's sitting in the yard. Put the bike up on hooks in the top of the garage, and he can't reach it for a week. And don't say a thing. Just do it when he's not around. And uh, he'll come home the next day, want to use his bike. It's hanging up there. He can't get to it. And if he wants to ask about it, he will. And you can say, you didn't bring your bike in last night. You'll have it next Monday. And that's it. And that's it. That's unfair, um, Dad. D don't argue with that. Yeah, you back <laughs> yeah, away from that. You just back away from that. There's no reason to engage with a kid who's saying that's not fair. And with good kids, it just takes two hours. They could lose their bike for two hours. You don't have to start with a week. Because a lot of kids really want to be good. 
Mm. It's not their desire to be bad kids. And they want their bike. But the follow-up might be the next week, I'm just saying, just in my home. Just what if. No, a, a friend of mine <laughs> friend might of mine. have a child who would dog just the parent until they scream in frustration about, the, if, if I can't have the bike, then I can't do this, and I can't do that, and that, da, 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 da. So there's a tendency to want to shut off that whining, that badgering, what do I do? I well, John that. actually had a daughter like that. Oh, so good. did I. I was going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and you have your daughter's permission to talk about yeah. this. So uh, <laughs> She still hasn't gotten her bike, but that's yeah, another story. up in the garage. What I, what I, She's 30 what, now. What worked, what worked beautiful with her was to say, this is the cost of what you did, but that's going to be lengthened if you badger me. We use the word badger. Oh, interesting. So it's not going to work to your advantage to stay, you know. So you only, let's say the bike, I don't remember that was an issue, but you lose your bike for three hours. If you stop talking now, <laughs> if you keep talking, it's going to be four hours. And if you keep coming down and mm -hmm. arguing and all that, then it's going to be a day or two yes. days or three days. So you just use it like that. Mm -hmm. And so disengagement's really important, and it needs to start at an early age. I tell parents in my clinic uh, with a three-year-old um, who's misbehaving in a certain way, they're trying to re-guide them and talk to them and distract them and get them into a different mode of thought. And I say, that's a lot of work for you to do. Mm. Just disengage and let them calm themselves. And when they're back to a normal state of mind, re-engage. And by doing that, you're giving them coping skills. Right. I mean, that's the... the beauty of it. Yes. You're they're learning how to settle themselves down. Yeah, with disappointment, whatever it might be. Right. One of the areas in GIST that you touched on, which I think is so critical, because we sometimes laugh at ourselves the way we distort reality for our kids. You know, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody did wonderfully, mm -hmm. even though that kid struck out 14 times <laughs> or whatever it might be. Tell me about why it's important to teach your kids knowing the truth as best as they can know it. It sounds like it's right out of the scripture. It is. I mean, that's what Jesus said to Pilate. Mm -hmm. I came to testify to the truth. And the truth is important to God. And the mm -hmm. better we know truth and know ourselves that way, I think the healthier we are. Do you agree? Absolutely. And, and the scripture says not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And that means that we have to have an honest view of ourselves, and our kids get that from us, and it creates a lot of problems with kids. You know, I've often said that kids are running out of things that are like a track meet or a swim meet. And if your kid runs track and they came in eighth, you can't tell them they won. But there aren't very many things in life like that. So kids need honest feedback, and they get a tremendous sense of stability. It's almost a ballast in their life when they know that their parent will tell them the truth. And they'll tell them the truth about how good a singer they are, how talented they are, how tall they are, how athletic they are. And there's a way to do that lovingly, and it gives kids a different kind of self-esteem. It's really let's, powerful. You know, if I could, let's just role-play that a bit for sure. the parents out there. So I'm the eight-year-old. I did strike out four times today at the Little League game. I'm not hitting the ball well. I'm batting ninth. Mm -hmm. And you're dad. Okay. And we're walking away from that Little League game, and I say to you, Dad, man, I just don't feel like I can hit that ball. Kids laugh at me because I can't hit it. Yep. And I would say this was not a good game. Absolutely. Now, it's still, we still don't know for sure if you could learn to play better with practice, or maybe you're not cut out for baseball. That'll mm -hmm. take some time. 
So that's a real honest assessment of where that child is at and what they may or may not be able to do. Absolutely. And even if your child's face gets sad when they hear that, it's still a gift. It's a gift because it gives them the confidence to know that I can assess my... We need to protect kids' radar. That's a big part of self What do you mean by that, protect their radar? Well, radar is our ability to see a room, to see a situation, to um, know ourselves. And the more we lie to our kids, the more we distort their radar. Huh. And so the kid says, well, I have these friends at school and these kids on the team. And the fact that I'm riding the bench that tells me this, and then my parents are telling me this, and my radar is messed up now. I can't pick up what's really happening here. Oh, that's interesting. What are those signs, Tim, where we're missing it? I mean, we talked about the right way to handle something like that to help the child's radar improve and to better understand who they are and what their gifts and their talents may or may not be. What are the mistakes we make as parents with that kid? Let us see that. When you're walking away from that Little League game, what shouldn't a dad or a mom say to that? I don't think they should say, you just don't know play baseball. You're a terrible batter. And they shouldn't tell them that you're the best player on the team. Um, and that's the problem with uh, affirmation. You're not saying tell them you're a terrible batter. You're no, saying I'm, guard them that way. Yeah. But be real say, with them and say, well, well that's them. something you've got to work on. And yeah, and Mike and I talk about when you tell the truth to your kids, it needs to be loving and encouraging, but most importantly, it needs to be accurate. It needs to reflect the reality for them. Uh, and some parents don't like to go there. Yeah. Um, they they want to build up this false self in their child, mm. and that's very damaging. Well, and we're, our culture is full of that right now, isn't it? Especially Building with social up that, media, that false self. Right. And, yeah, the, Facebook the, is false self. Yeah, because you're is. putting your best foot forward all the time, yeah, whether you're a, a teenager or whether you're 65. <laughs> so we may need a little bit of that truth serum. And yeah. parents generally don't realize they're adding stress to their kids' lives by doing that. Yeah. How? Why do we need to open our eyes to that? How does because that I don't know, work? I know a lot of things. <laughs> My career has been talking to kids in stress. I don't know anything that stresses them more than a kid that has no exceptional traits being told that they're exceptional. Hmm. Because they don't have the ability to live up to the expectation. And that's really stressful. And we have lost, I'm going to generalize here, as a culture, we've kind of lost the magnificence and the beauty and the tremendous wonderfulness of being normal. And we put kids, kids today, they come in my office, feel it's an insult to be called normal. And we've, as adults, we've done that. And that's something we want to delve into uh, when we come back next time, and we're going to get there. And uh, I'm excited about that because, again, this is so important for parents to get a hold of, but it's so counterintuitive. That's why I love your book, Gist. Uh, Before we leave today, though, the point I wanted to punch, and you talk about it in the book, uh, is this idea of loving your kids. Most parents know how to love their kids. And why is that so important that your child feels loved by you as the parent? Well, I think um, kids need to be loved in a way that they know you are a straight shooter, that you're going to tell them the truth. It will give them a feeling of safety and security beyond anything else. And kids need – one of the ways we um, express love to our kids is spending time with them one-on-one. And that's a really important thing is – to enter their life and their interests. If a kid loves the Civil War history, take a trip with your kid to 
Gettysburg or something. Well, what are those important ingredients in expressing love to your child? And spending time with them is certainly one, yeah, a very but, important and, one. But spending time one-on-one with them. So the family time uh, isn't always, you need that, but you need one-on-one time as well. Yeah. L- love is conveyed. It, when you spend time with a kid one-on-one, you s- often see a different side of that child, yeah. and you bond with them, and it creates a salient memory. And when they're older, when they're an adult, they'll talk about that mm-hmm. trip that dad and I took, or and they won't really talk that much about a family trip. And that's a, an area where if you have two or three kids, sometimes for Gene and I, we've not done that well because we do everything together whether it's camping or what, whatever it might be. And that's probably an area for me personally that I have to be more mindful of, spend separate time with Trent and Troy. Yeah. And family and, time is important, sure. but it's overrated. <laughs> Why do you say that? Um, just uh, to piggyback on what Mike said, kids will remember the individual time with grandpa or dad or mom they, um, that's what they'll talk about. That's what they're that, going to talk about when they're 30. Yeah. Uh, they're going to say, oh, I just loved it when Nani and I used to cook or bake cookies or when Dad and I would go fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned the love trap, and I don't want to get away today without mentioning that. What did you uh, express in the book about love trap and avoid the love trap? Well, we want so much to love our kids and for them to know that they're loved, that they have a power, a magic wand, and it is to say, I know you don't love me because you took mm-hmm. away the car or you did something. So if you love me, you wouldn't. Yeah, you, you've made me unhappy. Yeah, so you, you don't wouldn't love search me. my room. Yeah. And you know, part of that is if you love me, you wouldn't create this much pain in me, which is kind of a blame thing. But the love trap is that when parents buy into that, and um, your job is to raise your kid and get them ready for adulthood, and your job is to love your kid, but that has to be a higher priority than your relationship because your child can ruin the relationship without you, but they can't ruin your love. I've got to uh, ask you one last question, but before we do, man, this has been so good, uh, Tim and Michael. What a wonderful uh, conversation. You're kind of turning the parenting world upside down, mm-hmm. but I also think you're tapping into something that God used in dealing with his people. Um, somebody like King David, for example. He was not living up to the law, to the godly standards, but the Lord dealt with him in such a wonderful way. Um, David made his mistakes, but he would come back, he would be contrite and ready to serve again. And I think uh, God's heart was for David because of that contriteness. He knew that he was guilty and he admitted it. And that's a great lesson for all of us as parents. And I hope our listeners will contact us to get a copy of this powerful book, Gist, The Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids. And remember, when you order resources directly from Focus on the Family Canada, a part of those proceeds go right back into rescuing marriages, equipping parents, like we're doing today, uh, saving preborn babies, and so much more ministry. So please be generous with your support of Focus on the Family Canada today. We'd love to hear from you, and you can make a monthly pledge or one-time gift at focusonthefamily.ca or call 800-661-9800. Tim and Michael, let me ask you this. Uh, For the parent that has that 16, 17, 18-year-old, and they have not heard this before, and they have blown it, they have had years of struggle and battle with that now teenager, and the relationship is frayed. You're seeing this all the time in your practices. Absolutely. What is something that we can do differently tonight if we have blown it in this way? Where do we start? 
expressing it differently to our teenager in a way that they can catch it? What can we say? What can we do? I think it starts with us asking them for forgiveness for how we have blown it. I think when we do that as parents uh, and are very honest about that, the kids um, appreciate that. They'll respond. They'll respond to that. And I think what you describe usually is a situation where there hasn't been a lot of that. And maybe there's been some that's been not completely uh, honest, uh, and they really need to say, I really have kind of blown my job here in raising you up, and you're falling behind in certain ways, and now we have two years left, and I want to start there. Those are great thoughts. Again, thank you so much for being with us. We'll come back next time and pick up the conversation. Hopefully, I know, uh, put more thoughts and ideas and parenting Uh, approaches into the hands of the parents and grandparents listening. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. And we're looking forward to part two of the conversation next time, and I hope you can be with us then. At our website, we have a free parenting assessment, which takes just a few minutes to fill out. It's a survey that uh, will provide you with an honest look at your family's strengths and maybe some areas where you need some improvement. Uh, You can check that out at focusonthefamily.ca. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.